Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Uh, We're continuing in our study this morning on Redeemer. Uh, We've looked over the past several weeks at this word, what that means, uh, the reason that we need a Redeemer, uh, the one who came to be our Redeemer. And we've talked this past several weeks about what many, you know, they're biblical words that maybe you hear in church sometimes, but oftentimes you're not going to hear them very often outside of church with the exception of what we talked about last week. We've talked about repentance. We talked about what was biblical repentance as opposed to what was worldly repentance and the differences between the two. We also, we took a a Sunday and we talked about justification, about what it means to be justified in the eyes and in the sight of God. And that means that we are found legally innocent Uh, in God's eyes uh, through Jesus Christ, which is still just an amazing concept and one that if you try to wrap your mind around, uh, really, uh, I don't think you'll ever be able to. At least uh, I'm not able to, but I've also not been accused of being the greatest and deepest of all thinkers. Uh, Nothing? Okay, it's rainy outside, it's wet, the time's getting ready to change. Okay, I'm going I'm to chalk it up to that because you all would have at least... Anyhow, okay, last week we talked about the word adoption. And we talked about what biblical adoption looked like, uh, what that meant to us. And this week we are talking about the word sanctification. So I'm going to try to squeeze in what is biblical sanctification in around 30-ish minutes. Uh, so good luck to me this morning, but this is, this is an important thing, and we're taking a little bit of a shift from what we have been talking about, because with repentance, with justification, with adoption, these, these are talking about a, whole, a holiness that's positional. So that is our position in Christ. When we repent, we're justified in him, and when we are adopted by him, that is a, a, a look at the position that we are in as children, as sons, as daughters of God. That is our positional standing right there, is that we are, we are forgiven because we've repented. We are innocent because we've been justified, and we're now his children because he has adopted us. And now this comes into Uh, an area and a word called sanctification, which sanctification, basically at at, at the foundation of it, it means to be set apart. It means to be different. So if we're saying that you're sanctified from this world, what that means is is that you're set apart from the world. There's a difference about you. There's something different to you than before. Now that you're in Christ, you're different. But this is more than just a positional holiness thing. This has an outpouring. This has a, a, a little bit of an outplaying and a way that, that we need to start living. Now, this is where it also begins to get a little bit tricky because it requires something of us. More than just saying yes to God, more than just repenting, forgiving, you know, asking for forgiveness of sin, it's asking for action. It's asking for us to do something, and it's really easy to get drawn into a works-based or an efforts 
works-based type of Christianity where our living is pouring out through what we do. And while we make no mistake about it, that there are things that God calls us to do, works, deeds, things that he has created us for, that is not what earns us holiness. That is not what earns us righteousness. That is not what earns us our place in God. That is only through Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to, the statement that I'm going to kind of give to you at the very beginning of this message is that sanctification, what we're talking about when we're talking about us doing things, we're talking about a grace-driven effort. So when God calls us to do something, when we're required to do something, where there's an action, where there's a, where there's a, a, a verbiage, when we're called to put action into this life, it's not about us doing things so that we can check them off of a list so that we, we meet the requirements of holiness in and of ourselves. We do these things by our efforts only through the grace of God. Okay, so it's only through the grace of God extended to us that we are capable of doing these things. Now, there is a big theological debate that's raged on since who knows when about what is sanctification really. And there's two types, main types of beliefs on sanctification. There's a camp that believes that sanctification happens completely and totally instantaneously. So they believe that sanctification happens like that and you're set apart. And then there's another camp that believes that it's a progressive thing. It's something that we grow into as we get older, as we mature in Christ. It, they believe that it is something that you mature into. So I'm going to tell you what my opinion of sanctification is. I believe that it is instantaneously progressive. I believe it's both. I believe it's both instantaneous and progressive. What did you all expect? I believe in both of them. It's an election year, okay? This is called, called straddling a fence right here. No, but I, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Is we're going to talk about these two elements that I believe that there is indeed an instantaneous change. There is something that instantly happens in our life when we call upon the name of Jesus Christ in faith. We, we repent, we make our public profession, we're baptized, and we begin walking with him. There is an instantaneous change in our life. But it's not something that we all of a sudden just go, boom, I'm here, and then all of a sudden I make this statement, I follow through with what the Bible commands, and boom, I'm here, I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm righteous. doesn't happen that way. And here's kind of what I want to lay out to you this morning is we, we, we struggle with this, or at least I know that I do, because we give our hearts to Jesus, and maybe if we've been serving Jesus for a long time, maybe we've, we've, we've grown lax, maybe we've grown complacent in our relationship with God, and we've fallen away, and that's something we do on a daily basis, and we get frustrated because we, we think, man, I, I just, I can't do this. God, how is this even possible? God, this isn't, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. But what, I kind of want to give you this example. I was here uh, for roughly four and a half years. And I was in the office that is, let's see, you got Vicky's door, the copy room door, that office door, the fourth door down this hallway. That was my office for four and a half years. 
And my morning routine, I'm a creature of habit. I'm a very task-driven person. I like things in structure. I like things kind of looking the same. Put my morning on repeat. Yes, please. I enjoy that. So I go to the gym of the mornings, come into the office. I will go down to the conference room. I will make myself a cup of coffee, and I walk back up the hallway into my office. Well, for four and a half years, that walk back to my office was out of the conference room, past the Sunday school office, directly left into that office. So for four and a half years, that's what I did every morning that I was in here. Well, I'm, you know, you, you guys, for better or worse, you all have not yet determined, but you, you hired me as your senior pastor, uh, and there was an office switch that came with that also. So I moved from that particular office to another office just up the hallway. But I still continued the same routine every morning of going to the gym, coming in here, getting my coffee, and walking down the hallway. I can't tell you how many times after I switched my offices that I was walking down through there with my cup of coffee, headed straight into that particular office, which is now Thomas's, opened the door and went, nope, and then had to walk back. And there have been times, because that office sat empty for a little while, so nobody saw me for a little bit. But then there's been a couple people that have occupied that office since then, and I will still walk in on them every now and then just out of habit and just like... Um, yeah, so for uh, today, you know, I've got to act like I was doing that for a reason, like there was a purpose behind that visit, and I'm just like, well, it's good to see you this morning. i got to go. So see, there's, there was a habit that my life had established that I went out of that conference room and into that office, and there, like I said, there's still moments where I almost have to do like a little half step there. I'm like, nope, nope, that's not it. Got to keep going. It's the same thing with our Christian life. And I want to encourage you guys, and I'm hoping that if you get nothing else from this sermon this morning about sanctification, is this understanding that this is a lifetime work that God is doing in you. So do not let the enemy win when you stub your toe, you mess up, you go back into that wrong office and realize that you've made a mistake. Don't let him win by convincing you that there's no hope for you. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading again from the ESV this morning. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. To each one of you, that you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Will you pray with me this morning? 
Father, I, uh, I thank you once again uh, for the opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I thank you for everyone that has stepped through these doors this morning. I thank you for everyone who is watching uh, online. And God, I pray that we would uh, honor you and glorify you this morning in your word. So Father, I ask that for everyone who is hearing, that their ears would be opened, uh, that they would uh, be receptive to your word, be changed by your word, be comforted and convicted and challenged by your word. And God, I pray right now uh, for me that, Lord, that you would use my voice as yours. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me and let me give voice to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's remember, grace-driven effort. And as we look back at verse 1, chapter 4 here in 1 Thessalonians, says, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And then he goes on to talk about the instructions that they were taught through Jesus Christ and staying away from these things of sexual immorality and knowing how to control your body in holiness and in honor to God. So let's, let's answer a couple questions. If, if I'm making the claim this morning that sanctification is both instantaneous and it is progressive at the same time, let's look at a couple areas as to what changes. So what changes instantaneously? What is the change that is made instantaneously? Well, first and, and foremost, the obvious one should be that our eternity changes instantaneously. So we move from a, an, an eternity that is destined for separation from God and in misery, and in suffering, and in anguish, and we move in into an, an eternity that is promised to be with him. So that's an instantaneous change. Also, there's a nature change. There's an identity change, and we talked about that last week through the adoption, is that we have gone from enemies of God, and make no mistake about it, Scripture is very clear that if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are not a Christian, if you are not recognizing Him as Lord and Savior, you can be as good of a person as you could possibly try to be, but if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible describes you as an enemy of God. That we, outside of him, we're enemies of God. And that's not my opinion, that's God's word. So there's been this nature change, there's been an eternity change, and that came through the justification process. That eternity switch that happened came through you being justified. When God said that through my son Jesus Christ, his innocent flawless, perfect life, his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, through him, you who are guilty of everything that I could charge you with, I'm now seeing you as innocent because you are in Christ. So the eternity has changed and also the identity has changed. So now I want us to look at another instantaneous thing and I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And Jonathan kind of referred to this a little bit as we began the service with his reading of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There's another instantaneous that takes place, and that's called a renewing of your mind. But we're going to see also that this instantaneous change 
also bridges to an ongoing change as well, to a progressive change. But Ephesians chapter 17, or I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians chapter 17, look for that one for a while. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Let me repeat that again, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, there's an instantaneous thing that happens here with the renewing of your mind. Because you don't think the way that you used to think. When you are in Jesus Christ, there is this change in you that, that takes the old way of thinking, the sexual immoralities, the impurities, all of these things that were against God, and it gives us this quickening in our spirits and who we are as to say that these are not how you learn Christ. As you are in Christ, these things are opposed to who you are, opposed to who he is, opposed to who he wants you to be. And most of us are okay with that. I mean, while we still struggle with things, most of us are okay with saying that there are certain things in a life of a believer that we know can just truly be sin. And we know that it's wrong. And we know that God doesn't want it. So therefore, we understand that these things separate us from God. These sins take us away from Him. They are negative in our relationship with God. Would, would everybody in here agree, and just to make sure you're still tracking with me, you can raise your hand when I ask this, are there areas in your life that you know that you struggle with on the daily basis that ca- that's a negative thing in your relationship with Christ that cause, cause some, some, some separation there with God? Okay, so we know this. And while we're not necessarily okay with it, we recognize it. But I think there's a far more dangerous element to our lives that we don't necessarily wouldn't quite be so quick to raise our hands for and these are these things that maybe they're not necessarily morally wrong maybe they're not necessarily culturally wrong and maybe we might even begin to dance in this gray area just a little bit of well I can do this and it's (laughs) one of the most ridiculous statements ever made is well it doesn't say anything about that in the Bible doesn't say anything against that in God's word. Listen, there's two lenses, and we'll get to this here in a minute, so I'm going to try not to get too preachy just right yet, but we're going to get to this here in just a minute. But there are two lenses that we need to look at, at our lives through is, does it bring us closer to God or not? Does it bring us closer to God or not? Because you can look at neutral things all you want to, morally neutral things to where maybe there's not definite, uh, you know, a definite description or a definite do thou not in the scripture. 
But if it's not if it's not adding to your relationship to Christ, if it's not drawing you closer to Him, if it's not helping in this sanctification process of being more set apart and closer to Him and maturing in Him, if it's not working for your relationship with God, it's working against it. Let me shake that limb just one more time this morning. If what you're doing in your life, even if somebody wouldn't look at it and say that's morally wrong or that is an overt sin, if it's not working for your relationship with God, it's working against it. And if it's not drawing you closer to God, it needs to get gone. Everybody okay in here this morning? We, we okay? This just You don't have to say anything. Just give me a, a head shake. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. So like I said, this kind of bridges us from an instantaneous change, which is a renewing of mind. This is that element of being able to take thoughts captive, like Paul talks about, and to be able to think differently than we thought before. Think with an eternal perspective. Think with a perspective of the lens of Jesus Christ to where we, we don't see things like non-believers see them. It's like last week we talked about this thing that we can cry out, Abba, Father. That no matter what situation that we're facing, whether it's a great situation where we're wanting to rejoice and cry out, my God is sovereign, my God is mighty, my God is Abba. Or if we're facing a terrible situation where we cry out in concern, in, in discouragement, in depression, in anxiety, in all of these places where we can cry out and go, my God is still sovereign. My God is still almighty. My God is still in control of everything, and I know that. That's the perspective that we have. Please, and, and I said this last week, please don't ever despise dark places in your life. Don't despise hard times. Don't despise being in the refiner's fire because God, during those times, is bringing you and drawing you closer to him. So now let's look at this. So we've got the instantaneous changes. We've talked about the eternity. We've talked about the identity. We've talked about the renewing of the mind, that that begins to change at that point, that there's an instantaneous change. But let's look at some more of these progressive changes as we begin to look these ongoing changes for us as believers. And let's turn to Galatians. Let's go to the book of Galatians, just a few pages over to your left from Ephesians. And we're going to be going to Galatians chapter 5. And this is going to give us a look at an ongoing walk, a daily walk, and how this should be playing out in our lives. So Galatians 5, starting with verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit. That is a present tense statement. That's not a past tense that you walked by the Spirit or a future tense that you will walk by the Spirit. This is a present tense expectation that Paul is giving us here. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So in all of these passages, Paul has been the author of all three of these letters that we've read from this morning. And he's showing us this tension. He's showing us this battle that we have going on inside of us. The flesh versus the Spirit of God. And which one is going to be the one that, that serves as the one that leads us. And in every passage, he talks about what we were. But he talks about it in such a way that it wasn't just what we were and it's done, it's over with, everything's put behind. He talks about it that these people, and himself included, in a very real way, still struggle with these things on a daily basis. And I don't know about you, but that, that kind of serves as a source of encouragement for me to know that throughout the annals of time that we are not the only group of people who, have, who, who continue to struggle with this old person, this old being that we used to be, the habits, the, the, the things that we used to do, all of that. And, and I want to just insert a couple things, and then I'm, I'm going to close this morning. But number one, it's so easy for us to just take care of things on surface levels, isn't it? I mean, just try to hide the evidence. You know, just kind of make it to look like there's really nothing going on. I remember one time, and my, my mom still loves to, to tell this story about she sent me in to clean my room one day, um, and you know, apparently all the toys in there uh, wound up out of my floor, not into their rightful places, but just jammed under the bed. You know, it, that was just, in my mind, that was fine. I don't know why I got in trouble for that. I mean, she wanted the floor clean, technically. The floor was clean. But that's kind of what we, it's kind of what we get satisfied in doing with our own faults, our own failures, our sins, the things that, that aren't pleasing to God. We kind of just like to hide them to where no one else can see them. Maybe, maybe they're still there. Ah, we're going to have to deal with them at some point, but you know what? It, it, it's still there. But don't worry about it. Nobody can see it. So that way, we can go into work and we can look like we've got everything together. We can go to sporting events or extracurricular events with our family when, when we're not living through the Rona. We can go to these things and we can act like we've got everything together and everything's put just in place and proper. And then we can come to church and we can put on our, our little holy faces and our facades and our masks and think that we've got everything together and everything's fine. When in reality, there's a whole pile of sin and dysfunction piled somewhere underneath a rug, underneath the bed hidden somewhere that it's eventually you're going to have to deal with it but it's just so much easier for it when that stuff just tries to climb back out it's just easier for us to 
kick it back underneath there and hope that it holds for a little bit longer. See, it's so much easier for us to deal with the evidence of things than it is to get to the heart of the matter. Because the problem in, in, in our lives as believers is the flesh. It's sin. It's just so much easier for us to be able to just kind of push this thing back and hope that nobody ever finds out. Because you know, we, don't, we don't truly like to be known most of the time. That's, that's why there's such, a, there's such a hesitation and there's such a resistance to relationships with our brothers and sisters. Because if I get too deep into a relationship with them, then they're going to, they're going to expect to know me. And guys, and you can be 99% known and yet still be completely unknown because there's that 1% hiding. There's that 1% that you're still stowing away. It's a constant, ongoing renewing of our minds. It's a constant, ongoing revealing of these fruit of the, this fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's, it's these types of things that the flesh is battling against and that's the, you know, that, that is the ongoing portion of sanctification that you and I have to deal with on a daily basis. It's that Ephesians, you know, uh, that passage that we just read out of there for that 22 through 24, it talks, verse 22 talks about all of the things that we once were. And 24 talks about the things that God has made us. But then we see the vehicle right in the middle of what gets us from one to the next, and that's in verse 23 when it says, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So this morning, I kind of want to ask all of you to do a little bit of, of inventory in your life. And I want to go ahead and ask the praise team, if they would, to come on back up. But I want you to look at all areas of your life. And I want you to just take, take just a few moments as I'm talking, and I want you to look at your relationships. I want you to look at your marriage. I want you to look, if you've got kids, of your relationship with your kids. I want you to look at your work life. I want you to look at your social life. I want, to, I want you to look at your friends. I want you to look at your habits. I want you to look at those things that you do when nobody else is around, when nobody else can see or hear or think about maybe possibly what you're doing. And I want you to evaluate those things. And I want you to evaluate them by asking this question. Are those things Christ-centered? Is Jesus Christ the center of those things in my life? So in my work relationship, in my work, is Jesus Christ the center? In my time at home with my family, is Jesus Christ the center? In my time here at church, in my relationship with my church family, is Jesus Christ the center of it? In my tendencies, in my attitude, in my finances, is Jesus Christ the center? Well, preacher, I don't think, no, don't give me that. Jesus expects to be the center of everything in your life, period. No gray areas. So then comes the answer. 
If you answered yes, if you can say that Jesus, you know, this part of my life, that Jesus Christ is the center of it, and you say yes, then great. Keep going. Keep doing it. Go after it even more. If the answer is no, then you've got to ask yourself another question. If the answer to, is this area of my life Christ-centered, if that answer is no, then you have to ask another question. Is it possible for, it, for Jesus to be the center of that in my life? So if I'm over here and in my finances, if Christ is not the center of my finances, and I find out that he's, the answer to that is no, then I have to ask, is it possible for him to be the center of that? If the answer is yes, then you need to make the changes to make that happen. You just need to make them. There's no easing into it. There's no stepping into it. There's no just kind of slowly, slowly leaning into it. Begin to make the changes. But if you look, okay, Jesus, are you the center of this relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Are you the center of that? If the answer is no, then you have to ask that question again. Is it possible for him to be the center? If yes, again, you need to make the changes to make that the priority. If no, in any situation that you just envisioned, if it is not possible for Jesus Christ to be the center of that, stop. Just stop. Stop doing it. And, and no, again, it's, it's not an ease, ease away, gray, you know, kind of a gradual, slow fade away from it. If it's not possible for Jesus Christ to be a center of something that's a part of your life, then that doesn't need to be a part of your life. Because Jesus is your life. He's the most important thing in your life. And there's nothing that comes close. Nothing that comes close. So if there's something that's coming in between you and your relationship with Jesus, if it's affecting your relationship with him negatively, then it either needs to change or it needs to go. I wish there was a sugar-coated third option that I could give you, but there's not. Because Jesus Christ expects everything that you have because he gave everything he had and more for you.